Book 1, Water, Chapter 2, The Avatar Returns. Chaotic fun Aang's antics put the Southern Water Tribe at risk, and he's asked to leave. But he returns to defend the innocent villagers when Zuko's forces attack, ultimately turning himself in. Katara and Sokka accept the call to adventure, taking Appa to rescue Aang. Our heroes escape Zuko's warship and begin their journey to the Northern Water Tribe. I'm Abria Iyengar. I'm Josh Arkin. And today we're talking about episode two, The Avatar Returns, and how something as simple as Aang accepting his role as the Avatar begins to change the world. It's too perfect, you gotta stop, we're gonna get sued. We can't have the actual... It was uncanny. It was too good. Damn it. Maybe I'm a bard. <laughs> You're a bard, baby. Oh, Let's I want go. like a podcast bard. That's a very specific bard in college that I want. Sorry, everyone that's here that doesn't speak Dungeons and Dragons. We're doing it's it. It's fine. Uh, so I yeah. think uh, I'm not a huge fan of uh, the importance of titles, mostly because I hate naming anything. Mm. I did personally, I'm just getting like fourth grade book report flashbacks. Okay. Of the anxiety from it. But uh, I do want to analyze what the phrase the Avatar Returns means to like every fundamental level of like the story. So Mm. what does it mean to Aang? What does it mean to like our main cast so far? What does it mean to the world in general? And using that as like a contextual lens to discuss this sort of embracing of the call to adventure. Like, I don't want to be too rigorous and mm-hmm. hold too much of this, like, entire series to, like, Joseph Campbell's hero's journey. Like, I'm sure we'll talk about it, like, <laughs> more than a little bit because yeah. we're both writers and, like, that's what you do. But I still think that this general idea of acknowledging that this is the second half of the pilot and the kickoff and the call to adventure and everyone sort of accepting those first couple steps into their major character arcs and the major like thrust of the plot bears discussing. I totally agree. So who do you want to start with? You want to start with, with Aang? Yeah. Yeah. Let's start with Aang. I I think what's interesting about Aang in these first two episodes on our rewatch that like the first glaring thing that we noticed was, you know, he's primarily characterized as someone who ran away from his identity. Yeah. Didn't want the identity of the avatar decided to flee his loved ones in the air temple and wound up in a violent storm and frozen in ice for a hundred years. And essentially his refusal to the call uh, and his not wanting to be the avatar is the reason for, or the inciting incident behind a century of war, a century of imbalance. And this episode is the beginning of Aang owning who he really is. He takes the first step toward becoming the, what you know the hero of the story yeah i think that's super huge and like pretty important uh i love this idea of like yeah we deal with like the reluctant hero but it's so fun uh we mentioned this before in uh the pilot of this sort of like out of order like they're refusing the call yeah i think it's interesting that we keep getting reminded over and over for whatever reason i noticed it a ton in this episode that like ang is a child 
and he reminds you of it. There's like a very cute line uh, where Zuka, uh, yeah, where Zuko's yeah. like, "You're only a child," and he's like, "Yeah, you're only a teenager." And yeah. I think there's something like incredibly important about this, like, and makes it humanizing. I think the way our the intro for this episode and all future ones shows uh, that it's Avatar uh, Roku, Avatar Roku that like is the one that disappeared, even though it's like not quite how it worked. I think it's so much more unforgivable for an, an, an adult to like shirk their duty, mm. but it feels very humanizing that our main protagonist is this like, it's a kid yeah, and a kid not wanting to like lean into all that responsibility and having to like owe so much of his life to the world. Like it makes perfect sense. Yeah. And the sad irony for Aang is because of the events of him becoming encased in ice for a hundred years, his need to step up and be the avatar has become accelerated within yeah. his own lifetime. Like the responsibility of, for him as a 12 year old avatar seems to be greater than it would have been had he just <laughs> hung out at the air temple and learned as he went. Exactly. Oh God. Cause he's entered a world that's in such dire need for a balancing figure like the avatar to come and save the world. Yeah. And it's just, it's super great. Uh, I come from a background of like, X-Men is kind of my first big, like, mm. fantasy sci-fi, like, any kind of nerdy uh, culture thing. So uh, I remember being a very little kid reading, like, oh, yeah, you definitely wouldn't want to get, like, superpowers until you're a teenager, you know, when you're an adult and know what to do. Right. <laughs> I just like this uh, idea that we are dealing with, like, a gaggle of children burdened with, like, a ridiculous task ahead of them. Yeah. And even though, like, Katara is already beginning to show that, like, well, both Katara and Sokka are actually, like, very invested in, like, oh, I want to learn to be a good waterbender and, like, protect the tribe. And Sokka is, like, for a 13-year-old kid that can't even fish very well, like, very into, like, I'm going to protect everyone around me and, like, I want the war to be over. Yeah. Uh, that the fact that Aang is such a kid throughout all of this, like, he wants to go sail around the world and ride a bunch of animals. Yeah. His... Why does he like? He has a very detailed list of animals <laughs> in different places. There's so many of like, can I be on this? <laughs> will it accept me? How fast will it go with me on it? <laughs> <laughs> I hate it so much. For a culture, like for air nomads, they're like a culture of like good people that are at peace with the world. He's got a lot of like, I'm gonna put my butt on it and like, let's just see, what we get what we get. Oh, man. Oh, that man. cracked my shit up so much at the end where he's like, yeah, I want to ride the wild hog monkeys. <laughs> they definitely do not want to be ridden, but that's why I like it. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It's just a close-up on his psychotic yeah. grin. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. I want Aang out of context. Like, I need that Tumblr <laughs> very badly. <laughs> yeah. what's, what's interesting about Aang is he's childish in, yeah. in, in those ways where all he wants to do is <laughs> ride animals and <laughs> go around the world finding more exotic animals to ride. But he's also he also has a childlike innocence, a, a ch you know, childish being more of a pejorative and childlike yeah. being more of just the description of, you know, the goodness in all children. His philosophy toward being the avatar as time will go on, and, and it's expressed here implicitly in his actions here, you know, his childlike nature helps him be the person that he wants to be, be the avatar that he wants to be. That's super true. Specifically in the way that he battles Zuko in the, in the water tribe. And then later on the ship, all of his movements for the most part are defensive and blocking. He never really attacks anyone. Yes. Uh, I also really, I want to like hone in on that moment. Like I appreciate the, like 
storytellers and the director here using like slow motion as a like this is the character thinking like in bullet time about what's happening <laughs> right. as it happens and having Aang sort of realize that even as he is deflecting all of that fire and protecting himself from getting burned like the fire is still going somewhere and he like by virtue of doing that he is putting others at risk like him using his powers is inherently dangerous and like it's important that we get that up top yeah and then watch those themes and motifs like deepen over time yeah you're so right there's that moment like you said in, where there where he's blocking fire and there's a slow motion moment where he turns and the fire is like close to hitting water tribe children yeah and there's a realization on his face like oh this could be bad and yeah then he stops and he's like okay I will go with you on the ship as long as you leave these people alone. Yes. And it's so good. But also like, can we get those water tribe kids? Like you could have fucked off you at just any walk point. Away. Like, just, <laughs> just, just walk away. <laughs> this is so easy to not be a part of this is just to back up a little bit, I think. But like, sure. Just stay close. That's a, that's a weird flex, but yeah. sure. And, and, uh, another really important thing to point out is there, there is a negative to the extreme of this childlike yes. philosophy of Aang's, Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Which is, you know, in, in the last moments of the episode, which we'll return to later as well, when Katara and Sokka are like, all right, you know, we're going to go to the north and we're going to train to be a waterbender and you're going to begin your avatar journey and then it'll culminate in you restoring balance to the world. He's like, yeah, but first let's go here, here and here so I can ride all these animals. Yeah. Especially this one because they don't like it, but that's what I like it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I. Not to, I don't, I want to try to avoid, talk, obviously we've watched this whole show yeah. a couple times. Yeah. I don't want to do too much like, and in a future episode, but I do think that this is the beginning of a pattern that culminates in that last episode of him turning to and meditating and trying to get advice from previous avatars on like how to handle the threat of Fire Lord Ozai. Mm -hmm. And I love that this sort of like over eagerness to pursue pacifism is seen as fundamentally naive mm. and... Uh, potentially detrimental to like the greater sense of justice and balance in the world. So I like that, like in its own small way, like there's still a, chil a children's show and we want to teach the right things to like the, the target demographic, but we're still having the beginning of a conversation about like leaning into pacifism becomes like dereliction of duty and becomes right. irresponsible to people around you because like you have to do, I don't know. It's the beginning of some really interesting philosophical conversations. Yeah. And I like that we're centering it in Aang and not just making him as like a hero that like suddenly snaps and achieves maturity. Like right. I make fun of Aang and call him a wise baby a bunch as the series goes on, but like it doesn't start that way. Right. And it's interesting to watch a character grow in maturity because he has to. Totally. I think the other thing I want to talk about, and this was something we were kind of chatting about before. I play a lot of D&D, &D, and I guess I think... You do? <laughs> <laughs> I play a lot of Dungeons and or Dragons, and uh, I, I like to think about things in like within that context. And uh, the analogy that we were talking about, where Aang, in his defensive fight against Zuko... It's clear that he is like wildly stronger. Like the level mismatch here is like Zuko is like a level four kind of crappy firebender and Aang is like our level eight big yeah, boy. Yeah. Just to quickly say what's interesting is at first I feel like it's almost not clear, because, but it's only because Aang is block, block, block. Yeah. And then there's that moment in the ship where he takes his staff and he whaps the mattress into <laughs> Zuko into the wall and then yeah. whaps him into the ceiling and he just leaves. He clowns on him. Yeah, it's not even close. Right? And you can tell that like if he was focused on like 
being a bit more proactive and a little more, not like lethal, but a little more like dangerous. Yeah. Like he could absolutely have made quick and easy work. He's just sort of playing with the fire Navy. Totally. Cause I don't think uh, we're supposed to believe that he doesn't really understand the stakes of what he's dealing with yet. Right. And that's fine. And that's good. to make sense. But uh, yeah, I like this idea that as he sort of multi-classes into other bending types, everyone else is playing this interesting game of catch up. So it's fun to see that like, he is a very powerful airbender up top yeah. and that alone would make him like a master and knowing what we know about like Korra and like the whole cycle of like getting your uh, arrow tattoos. Like we don't know, but we know that he's an airbending master, but like watching the sort of power creep of everyone around him, like Zuko and Katara and Sokka in his own way, mm-hmm. sort of rising up and matching as they're all dinging their XP. Uh, it becomes Fun to see that later on, as he's spent so much time specking into uh, other bending types, like Zuko will be a formidable match. Uh, Katara is a waterbending master in her own right. And right. it will get to the point where like Zuko will be good enough at firebending, uh, spoilers, I guess, <laughs> to eventually become his uh, firebending master. Right. So it's it's a good trajectory and a good imbalance to see up top. Like, being able to clock uh, where our characters began in order to see their growth across the series has been really, really gratifying to see. Yeah, and it's rewarding too, like going as granular into the details as you and I are. Mm-hmm. The show doesn't let us down. It doesn't, it, you know, the fidelity of the show, like the continuity of the show is pretty strong for the most part. Yeah. Like here and there, maybe they had some ideas that they didn't go on or or something wasn't fully figured out at this point that like, uh, motivation for Sokka or Iroh yes. hasn't been fully fleshed out yet. But for the most part, thinking granularly like we are about the power level of the benders, it pays off. Like you can track the progression and the show the show allows you to go as deep as you want. You Absolutely. Know? Which not a lot of shows do these days, you know, which is pretty unfortunate. Yeah. Um, and this is why we love this show. Along those lines, like, let's jump into character by character. Sure. And uh, I want to start where you started. Like, let's talk about the problem of Sokka. Because once again, he's my favorite character. And I think as of episode two, he's probably got by far the weakest motivation to go set off on this adventure. Mm. Um, I think the big thing here is, as stated by Katara, like, the reason he wants to join in at all is to, like, bang some firebender, I'm like, crack some firebender skulls. Uh-huh. After like this is minutes after being shown to be absolutely unequal to the task. Like yeah. Zuko, it's not even kicks. He just sort of wipes his foot off of Sokka like in two directions. Totally showing that like the thing that uh, was alluded to in the pilot is that like he is a little boy like playing at being uh, the protector of the tribe and a warrior in his own right. Yeah. So uh, I I get where. Uh, that sort of motivation for him comes, but it is probably the muddiest. It's the least clear because at this yeah, point in the show, exactly. It's the it's the it's the comic relief problem of like them being a bit of a like sad sack and putting a lot of like the physical humor and slapstick humor onto them means that like having grounded opinions and motivations is probably the hardest to pull off there. Yeah, and knowing what we know about the long view of the show and how Sokka's development will progress, it's a testament to how sh- strong this writing team is yes. that they do pull it off, ultimately. Yeah, they figure it out. And it's yeah. it's not bad to see that, like, he's a bit, like, in the woods early on and doesn't have, like, the strongest characterization and the strongest, yeah. like, trajectory. But, like, 
I think that's why we're so into them as like a, a writing team and like a development team that like they figured it out and they got there and they gave him like a very satisfying arc. Yeah. And there are even flashes of it for Sokka in this episode where he's not afraid of Zuko, even though he's getting completely clowned on. <laughs> yeah. He'll still like run at him full force. You know, he's a he's a brave warrior who does want to protect his people. Yeah. And he wants to protect his sister. And that's sort of like you know, grand grand pats him on the head and is like, just be nice to your sister. He's like, all right, all right. You know, he's, he's definitely a caring, protective clown. Yeah. And that's, that's why we love him. <laughs> exactly. So the, the elements are there, but it, you know, it does take them more time to really flesh them out for Sokka. Yeah. So if Sokka's ultimate arc is to eventually like win the war and having Aang as the vector to do so by like traveling with him and yeah. growing and developing his own like personal skill set. I think this is probably the muddiest of those starting off yeah. other than Iroh. Yes. Iroh is still essentially not a character. Yeah. Which is fine knowing what we know. <laughs> we know he's going to grow into certainly a main character and, yeah. a, and an emotional core of the show. But it was surprising to rediscover here in episode one and two that he's not really a character at all other than he sleeps good, he eats good, he <laughs> yeah. chills. He takes, like, these are sweet little peepums that, like, yeah. took a nap during all of this where we could have had more of a, an understanding of, like, what the reemergence of the Avatar actually means for him. Yeah. And using him as an adult, that's our sort of proxy for the Fire Nation that really understands what's going on, yeah. like, could have been more insight into the motivations of the fire nation and like what their expectations are to win the war. And I guess it's probably like, it's probably pretty smart and intentional to not have Iroh just immediately exposit that. Yeah. So we have to like grow over time and really live in Zuko's head about like the anxiety and, uh, unsuredness of like what the restoration of his honor will even mean. Yeah. And you're right. And let's, let's lean into Zuko here. Yeah. You know, Aang's return and the Avatar returning means a lot to Prince Zuko of the Fire Nation, for sure. Yeah. Because his entire expressed purpose is to capture the Avatar to regain his honor. Yeah. And I don't think we know much more than that at this point. I don't I don't think we actually know, although spoiler alert, we do know because we've seen the show <laughs> multiple times, yeah. that he is a banished prince. I don't Correct. think we know that at this point. I think we will find that out next episode. But for now... Our understanding is that there's an incredibly angsty teen with the worth fire coming out of his hands. <laughs> and all he cares about is capturing the Avatar. And it's and it's funny, he delivers this whole monologue in the pilot where, you know, my my father, my grandfather, my great grandfather, all of us were obsessed with trying to capture the Avatar. Mm -hmm. And the difference is between them and me is my honor depends on it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's it's lucky for him that he stumbled upon the Avatar returning for the for very first time. Yeah. I actually think it's really interesting to consider that like Zuko is probably the person affected most by like the return of the Avatar, even more so than Aang. Like yeah. his Aang's embracing of his own identity doesn't mean as much to him, especially seeing how like blase he is at the end of the episode. It doesn't mean as much to him as it does to Zuko, who believes the thing that he needs in order to like self-actualize is the restoration of his honor versus like what we know he actually needs, which mm -hmm. is like his whole redemptive arc and like having that with his family and with his nation. And like, yes, all which of this. I am itching to get into, but we're showing restraint because we're here at episode two. You're so welcome. All of you for <laughs> us to not be like, and then in the future and then just muppeting for like two hours about this. Yeah. 
We're excited. We love Zuko. <laughs> we, we love Zuko, Zuko so stands. much. So, but yeah, having him have like the most uh, important and visceral reaction, I think that speaks to like the thing I love and need most in my fiction, which is a compelling villain and like mm. antagonist. It should be antagonist, like mm. not really, but whatever. He's our villain for now and until he does his like heel face turn. But yeah, I think a villain that isn't sufficiently motivated and the like, Motivated in a way that we can see and understand and respond well to. Like having that means that like everything that's going to lead on from here is going to feel super compelling and super conflicting. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's super strong. And then bringing that to like our last main character, Katara. And I feel like for a character who will be marked as like the selfless one and the one constantly trying to bring and hold people together, her call to action, what, the return of the avatar means to her most of all, even beyond like her little intro thing about like having hope and believing that Aang slash the avatar can like change and restore bum, the bum, world. Bum, 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 bum. <laughs> <laughs> we can't do it. We can't get sued again, yeah. <laughs> but it's actually really, uh, it's her chance to fulfill her personal potential by finding a waterbender. Yeah. Uh, and uh, a waterbending of, master. Yeah. Sorry. Finding the wa- a waterbending master and learning to be a, proper waterbender yeah we get like a cute little uh gag of her trying to waterbend and like constantly backwards constantly just screwing Sokka poor buddy yeah (laughs) but what's funny is you know then she'll turn her back and try to get the the Fire Nation guys and throw ice at them and she successfully freezes three or four guys yeah right that's like a good move there we go pretty powerful waterbending move (laughs) even though it was thrown in reverse yeah you do what you gotta do it's fine yeah but she's showing promise here the potential of a very powerful waterbender that we know she'll grow into and yeah the avatar returning to the world and becoming friendly with her means that she now has this brand new opportunity to get on the back of a giant flying bison (laughs) and fly to the north pole yeah going along with this like what it means for her to be the last waterbender along or lost last yeah, yeah last southern waterbender yeah. along with like the last airbender period it's sort of uh tr- like it signals and triggers this sort of like re-emergence of wonder in the world and all of these cool things that like exist and can exist again now that the avatar is here and uh we don't really have a strong sense of like ang as like a spiritual bridge and what that means for like literal supernatural events yet, but like the existence of a sky bison and like the big reveal that like Appa can in fact fly and like yeah. these sort of big magical hybrid creatures exist and will exist all over the place. And Aang sort of just takes them for granted because he hasn't seen the depletion of like cool and special stuff in the world yeah. since the Fire Nation's been sort of like systematically wiping it out. The global scale of this is this beginning of a little bit of spark being put back in the world. Yeah. And it, and you see it in a very subtle way in this episode. When Aang is around, the children of the village are just like, yay! They all <laughs> love the Avatar. Yeah. And as we follow his journey, everywhere he goes, pretty much, children and animals love him. He just <laughs> he just is an aura of joy and yeah. love. And it, and it's it's special for everyone in the world that he's back. For sure. And I think along with that, uh, yeah, I actually really like that uh, you mentioned that because I do think that Aang exists and we are already seeing him as this like interesting iconoclast in the world uh, where he represents like 
this like little spark of joy in a village that's been very like lost to like fear. It's been so depleted over time. It's like eight people in like one sad igloo that Sokka made that like constantly falls down. Even Grand Grand saying outright that like he presents a spark of and like is a like a physical manifestation of hope in a world that's sort of lost to despair towards the end of this like hundred year war. I can't imagine like how demoralizing it must be for everyone in this world to have been lost in conflict for like an entire lifetime. Yeah. So having him show up as not just a potential vector for the end of the world, but just in and of himself, like this little beacon of joy is very cool too. Yeah. Kind of reiterating your point one more time about the response of like fight versus defend and uh, the juxtaposition of Sokka, who, as the Fire Nation actually arrives, like Zuko's forces arrive, Sokka is like, we get that cool montage of him like putting on his war paint and like stepping into his like warrior role that he's mm. like given to himself, that was given to him by his father. That like, even though he's like incredibly outclassed, like he knows that you respond to like a fight with a fight and he wants to like bring the fight to the Fire Nation all the time. Right. And having the sort of, oppositional take of Aang who never at like and at no point considers that like violence and like offensive threats are the way to handle it even when he's being captured even when he's being threatened even when like fire bending uh like fire is being bent at his face he still doesn't consider it a fight it's an it's a moment to defend and deflect mm. and to find another way and obviously this is like the beginning of foreshadowing of some like bigger themes in and around pacifism and the discovery of like a third path that you never have to be forced into something you're deeply uncomfortable with. But uh, I think it just really reiterates like the strangeness and the difference of Aang, but like not strange in a bad way. Yeah. He is a breath of fresh air because he hasn't been sort of beaten down by a century of like sadness and badness in the way that sort of everyone else has. And he, along with our, uh, the rest of our like main protagonist group, the gang, if you will. Team uh, Avatar, if you will. Uh, I like gang where you spell gang with, with two, two A's. A's. Mm. Yeah. That's, that's my personal nomenclature, but it doesn't make as much sense when you say it out loud. Cause you say like <laughs> the gang, gang and everyone's like, <laughs> are you okay? Do you smell toast? Are you having like a tiny stroke right now? <laughs> but oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, that's just one more thing I wanted to point out. Yeah. And, and even a, even a further point, you know, Aang is not only the Avatar, he's also, as the title of the show says, the last airbender. Mm. Uh, you know, the Avatar has been missing f in the world for 100 years, but also the air nomads have been gone for 100 years in this world. And as it is expressed in the title card and in the intro from Katara's voiceover, there are four nations. And one of those nations has been completely wiped out for 100 years. So I want to jump in, though. I love that, like, it is alluded to pretty heavily that uh, the presence of Aang as an airbender is special and different, but he never quite realizes that he's the last one. Yeah. Because we're not there yet. We're not there yet. And he doesn't have that big moment of realization. We're, we're going to have that yeah, soon. <laughs> yeah, but it's cute that, like, as a child, he doesn't, like, pick up on this heavy heavy signaling, like, you're an airbender? As yeah. in, those don't exist anymore? Where the fuck are you from? Like, how was Zuko able to figure out that by virtue of him being the last airbender left, he must therefore be the Avatar? Yeah. And all of those things that, like, us as mature viewers can, like, immediately alight on and, like, figure out that, like, it's a testament to 
holding Aang to like the top of the intelligence of like a naive child to not have quite figured out that thing and gives yeah. us that little bit of like tension as an audience member where we know something that he doesn't know yet. Yeah. And he's going to feel it in a hard way. Mm -hmm. And, it, and it, it's narratively very satisfying in a future episode, I believe next episode when he sees it for himself, when he sees the destruction of the temple for himself. Yeah. I think if, if he was not treated at the top of his intelligence and given information he shouldn't have, we would be robbed of that experience of his realization at the temple, which Absolutely. is a much more satisfying emotional moment. Yep. There was that moment you referenced uh, when Zuko and Aang are fighting. Uh, Zuko goes, you're the Avatar, you're just a child. And Aang looks at Zuko and goes, well, you're just a teenager. It reminded us of something that we, uh, you saw online and told me about some scuttlebutt on the internet. Yeah. Where... Um, you know, there's a live action Netflix adaptation coming up, as we've discussed. Mm -hmm. And the creators of Avatar, the showrunners of the cartoon, have left the production. And the scuttlebutt is that one of the creative differences that they had is that Netflix wants to age up the characters. Yeah. The main characters for the for the live action adaptation. They don't want Aang to be a twelve year old. They don't want Zuko to be a teenager. Well, or a young teenager, whatever. Yeah. They want to cast actors to age them up. And the question is is it important that our protagonists are the age that they are? Is it important that they're young? Is it important that Zuko's young? Is the show going to be a true adaptation if they're aged up? Or is it a different yeah. story? I think that's my big problem. And watching uh, the episode today with that sort of understanding of like, man, I'm just being, I'm being constantly checked with and like focused on like I'm focusing on their age and the fact that they are children and like how important it is that like such a great undertaking be uh embarked upon by children like people that aren't teenagers yet and that like this incredibly dark and angsty narrative about the re like reclamation of honor and like family acceptance is by a like a like a young teenager mm -hmm. uh, I think all of that is so important but I do understand where Netflix is coming from. Like having to have child actors carry this off is number one, a difficult thing. Like kid so actors. Hard. Yeah. Like I've seen, I'm not going to like throw, put anyone on blast here, but like I've seen the problems that uh, pop up when you cast age appropriately, but like the actors are an equal to a task of like conveying a lot of like complex emotions yeah, fiction's full of like very wise babies. So it's hard to put actual babies <laughs> in that place to accurately represent those things. It's easier to convey in fiction. It's also easier to like see children, like animated children endangered in that way. Like right. I can watch a elemental fight and watch like Aang get his butt kicked, knowing that he's a cartoon and everyone is kids and yeah. like somehow that takes and the, the human body the in the avatar universe and the core universe is very durable. Yeah. Oh my God, <laughs> the human really body falls is. from great heights in avatar <laughs> constantly. Oh my God. When Zuko like leaps off of the warship to catch Aang. Kids as he's got living. Heart. Yo, that kid's got heart. Cause if he had not caught Aang's delicate little ankle, he just would have swan dived onto a steel <laughs> platform, like 50 feet Belly below flop. him. Just, Oh my God. <laughs> I think that would have killed him. Not an Avatar universe. Not though. an Avatar universe, and that's like the be the beauty of animation. Yeah. So you're right. Is it a different story if we age them up? Yeah, I think so. And I think that's 
like once again, I get why Netflix wants to do it, but I think it's telling the wrong story at the end of the day. It, it's an it's you're saying it's a necessary evil. Yeah. But the question is, does that alter the story in an unfixable way? And I maybe wonder. It do, maybe it does. I mean, yeah. it's impossible to say because we've never seen that product. True. Right. But it, <laughs> we saw one. <laughs> well, we saw something count? like that. <laughs> yeah. Go listen to episode zero if you want. If you want our opinions on that one. But um. It feels like a lot of the greater themes being presented in the cartoon through the eyes of young kids and teenagers. Yeah. It's elemental to the themes that they are kids having these experiences. Yeah, absolutely. So, so it feels like on a, on a thematic level, but also on an individual episode to episode story level, it totally changes the story if yeah. they're older. Like even Aang and Katara, when Aang ha- at the beginning of this episode, when Grand Grand kicks him out and he has to leave they're like sad they're not going to see each other again. It doesn't feel like, it doesn't feel sexual at all. Yeah. And it also doesn't feel overly romantic. Yeah. Or or romantic at all. Yeah, it's just, I don't want my friend, my new friend to leave. But frankly, even if they were as young as two 15-year-olds with puberty and everything, then maybe it would feel a lot different. Yeah. And that that changes the story in, in a lot of meaningful ways. I agree completely. I'm not sure if that's good or bad, though. I mean, yeah, I think this gets to the point. Maybe if you want to tell a darker, grittier Avatar story, instead of trying to remake this one story, since it was so effectively told in cartoon form, like tell a different Avatar story. I feel like this is the perfect Whoa. opportunity to go hard on like a Kyoshi story. Like, okay, I love that. full disclosure. I'm a Kyoshi stan. I love her so much. I love yeah. that her reaction to Aang being like, well, I don't want to hurt him. And she's like, you need to fucking knuckle Kill up, buttercup. Him. Yeah. Like, <laughs> She says no justice, no peace. And like, I feel that in my bones. So why not tell a story from an avatar with like fewer compunctions about doing violence? And then you can have like a cool adult avatar doing a cool adult avatar things. And then you can bring in like properly trained adult martial artists and like really go hard on uh, all of the cool fight sequences that you can have in all these great like set pieces and tell stories that like we don't have any clue about because they haven't really come up in the lore yet. You can you can move in such a new and interesting direction that still ties to the greater world. And I guess I'm getting, I don't know. I, I still have a lot of faith in this adaptation. Like I do want to see a darker, uh, more realistic avatar, but I think so much of what's important about the story that we're telling gets lost when you, when you take yeah. out that age like component. No, I totally agree. And I, I love the idea of exploring a history of the current avatar. I think that's something that the Watchmen HBO series does extremely well mm-hmm. is it's it's faithful to the continuity of the graphic novel. It's like this is 30 years later in the exact same story that you read when you read those comic books. Yeah. And if you go granular on Watchmen and look for little details in the show and try to like match them up to details that existed in the comic book – you're rewarded for that, yeah. right? And that's Damon Lindelof, his <laughs> his uh, his uh, mo. He's all about like the little details like that, for sure. Um, and I think that's part of what makes Avatar so wonderful and the extended universe into Korra as well. Yeah. And to that end, I think it would be amazing to see the live action series be a prequel from the Kyoshi era, which yes. is you know two lifetimes before Aang. <laughs> Do it's like I have eight hundred years? Yeah. <laughs> do I have faith that they will do that though? No, <laughs> no. I, I because hoping, it's risky. Yeah. yeah. And then the other the other thing on top of that is 
there's always the challenge of will they stay true to the continuity of Avatar, the cartoon, if they if they do a prequel. If yeah. they just adapt the cartoon and age up the characters and blah, 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 then they kind of get a creative pass on, on holding the fidelity and That's on holding true. the continuity. Which, again, is less satisfying to someone like me, yeah. but is probably a smarter business decision because it's not as challenging. <laughs> That's true. But yeah, I think the thing that can get potentially lost here, if you give us like the late teen to early adult, that sort of like smudgy area where we're mm. like, oh, they can, they can take a hit and we're not going to feel weird about it because we're not punching a child uh, age, is that you lose like the importance of this idea of like self-acceptance and mm. that like youth and all the anxiety around like trusting who you are and following your dreams and like all of that, like all the big thing that hit for me so hard in this episode. Mm. I think there's something really insightful about uh, the transformative power of self-acceptance. And I don't want to lose that in the Netflix adaptation because I think it was handled so well in this episode specifically. Mm. And even if you don't really know who you are, or, like what you're going to become later on, the first step is just accepting where you are in the moment and using that as a launching off point to a call of adventure. I love it. Just like our, our avatars squad did. I, I'm never going to call them a single name. <laughs> no. Why would you? <laughs> and that's what's so wonderful about this show and, uh, and about the journey of these characters is, you know, sort of that lesson of the week, moral of the week kind of yeah. element that they engage in for, for children. But it's still resonant today for us as adults. It, you know, it, like I said in episode zero, it got me so good and I'm 29 years old <laughs> yeah. and I'm sitting in my house during quarantine watching this for the first time and really absorbing these lessons that transcend age. They transcend culture. Like it, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. There's a lot we can learn from Avatar Aang. Absolutely. And in this episode, what we learned is accept who you are and be your true self and you will be happy. Ooh. Damn, that was good. Let's end on that. Okay. <laughs> Sweet. Well, thank you for hanging out with us for episode two, The Avatar Returns. We'll see you next week for episode three. The Southern Air Temple. Ooh, you already know the it. The Northern is. Air Temple. Oh, no. Which one I is it? I think it's the Northern Air Temple. No, I bet it's no, the Southern it one. Southern. It has We're to be Southern. The South I don't know. It's don't a look it up. We're just going to, no. it's an air temple. <laughs> it's I bet Southern. It's southern. <laughs> Uh, oh my god, that was great. We're ending there.